Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Today we're going to be nattering away about the ways that we can measure a singer. And that doesn't really mean get out the tape measure, plant them against the wall and, you know, get them measured that way because that's kind of inappropriate. The ratio <laughs> between the, the, the chest and the, and the hips, not none of our business. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to try and understand sometimes that the parameters that we're that we're working with, somebody's limitations, somebody's exceptions that they might be able to reach. But firstly, what does physiology have a role in when we're singing also it is a combination of nature and nurture there are certain things that we can't change because there's the size and shape of our well i say we can't change obviously we could do it through surgery or hormonal um things but as a singing teacher and what we we are in in charge of uh, we can change coordination of things physiology uh, logically physiologically and we can change um positions and you know coordination between the various movable parts in our larynx but we are not likely to grow anything or or reduce anything so there's, there's a certain element of of what you what you look like what you you know your inside the size and shape of the vocal tract will affect the overall sound mm. And can we talk about the lamina propria? So first of all, what is the lamina propria? And what might we expect if somebody has a thicker layer of it? Right, so lamina propria is basically the special layer of the vocal folds. So you've got like a skin layer first, and then you've got this three-layered lamina propria, um, which is the, well, superficial um, and intermediate and and the deeper layer. And, And all of these, they have different kind of composition of, collagen, elastin and various things, but um, basically it's the vibrating ligament, if you want, part of, of the vocal folds. So somebody who's got a thicker one, it'll take a little bit more to make it move, which often means that you probably vibrate with more mass. So that would be one of those things. And I'm sure if you look at somebody, you know, some let's, let's say a marathon runner and a sprinter, um, you can see they're at like super athletic level, not like somebody who does marathons a couple of times a year, but you will still usually see what kind of sport somebody's into. So there's an element there as well of, you know, you can improve muscle mass and uh, um, and more than anything with the vocals, it'll be the coordination of how, well, how much code closure you have. And there's a lot of things we can do as vocal coaches to influence that, but some people will have an easier time getting bigger sounds and some people will have an easier time getting kind of higher sounds if you want and that's something that we're not going to be able to change that's their physiological makeup isn't it yeah and and actually we don't necessarily well quite often we do not want to change that because that might be that we are causing thickening of layers and which could be a vocal pathology Mm. so a change at that level yeah there will be changes throughout our life of course uh, especially as women, uh, uh, I should say, AFABs and um, um, well, and people who are, who are going through, you know, the male testosterone-induced puberty, there'll be changes. Uh, there's changes through things like pregnancy and you know, but a majority of them are, are well, like menopause and, and the testosterone-induced 
Uber is probably the biggest changes to that. Mm. Tonsils are kind of a big thing sometimes, <laughs> physically being larger in some people than others. And some sometimes that's not a problem for them. Uh, others might find that it's reoccurring tonsillitis uh, and they have to have those removed. Yeah. If someone has non-problematic large tonsils, how's that going to influence their sound? Well, the biggest bass will boost lower frequencies and smaller space will boost the higher frequencies. We might go and talk about this, kind of how that's got to do with the relationship of the, the resonant frequencies that kind of live in our vocal tract. Um, so I've had people who've had their tonsils removed because of recurrent infection who come back and, and prefer the new sound, but it's always going to be an adjustment. Um, and then others who go, I don't sound like myself anymore. And then you kind of forget everything will, you know, anything I do in my vocal tract will adjust the sound, right? Mm. I mean, obviously it's not going to be as extreme as that, but especially singers, we are so tuned into what we sound like and what are us, um, <laughs> you know, you get the a, a lot more tuned into than anybody else would. They might not hear that anything has changed in your voice, but we might feel it ourselves. Yeah. Without being judgmental of the person in front of us, but being observant, how can we measure and probably not mention the physical appearance that we see and what we might expect as a result of that? So we do, as soon as we hear the person, see the person, we might start to think, I have an expectation of what this person will sound like, you know, if you get a, um, a tall person versus a, a smaller person, you might expect a different type of, you know, I'll go back to my, my is, is this a big dog or a small dog? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the in the most extreme senses. So some dog just walked outside now. <laughs> <laughs> You've spoken to them now. <laughs> I, to them. I don't know what I said. Um, <laughs> I probably spoke some kind of uh, voice nerdery. Um, so there will be an element of, of, you know, a smaller vocal tract will have an easier time to boost those higher frequencies. But through training, they can learn how to boost other frequencies as well, especially if we're talking in those kind of um, more classical, more legit opera, um, where often you're tuning into the, the fundamental frequency and then the, the kind of opera register and very little in the middle. Mm. Have um, you ever experienced anybody commenting on your physical appearance and, and how that might have... I did a in a job interview for a singing teacher, one of my first singing teacher jobs. Um, and she was a, an opera singer kind of training. Um, and she first thing she said, me, oh, you must have a greatly resonant voice with your cheekbones. And I just remember feeling equally uh, kind of insulted and complimented because <laughs> uh, I was like, well, yeah, is it just that? And then, <laughs> you know, it's a it's a very fixed mindset kind of way of thinking. Um, but yeah, do I, because of my big mouth, can I open up wider and because of that have a certain, um, you know, benefits, but other challenges? Right. You know, if somebody's got a narrow mouth, they're, they're likely to boost more of those upper frequencies than if somebody has a really wide mouth. I remember Jenny Morton, the lovely Jenny Morton. I always toot her horn uh, because I think she's fab. Um We've had her on the podcast a few times and she's she's an osteopath amongst many things. And she's often spoken about the feet and how when somebody is feeling a little bit flat in their voice or uh, we she feels that they could be a bit more rounded, she looks towards the feet first uh, to find whether they are flat or whether they can create that 
almost mm. like a diaphragmatic dome, if you like. Um, so we could look, it seems a bit intrusive to be like, let's have a look at your feet. And to be honest, I'd rather not look at everyone's feet <laughs> if I had the choice. <laughs> and also how important the history taking form is, because if there's something medical, um, whether that's like a lung condition or if somebody says that they, they often see a, a chiropractor for hip uh, replacements or whatever the technical term is, medical term, mm -hmm. <laughs> it it could give us an insight that way to their physiological makeup as well. Totally. So, I mean, whether it's a form or whether it's a chat, um, going through all of these kind of things and then also looking at postural. So we've gone away from this kind of everybody needs to have them, you know, head floating and, um, you know, shoulders above the hip. Like it, people's ideal posture is individual and also movement is healing of, of you know there's sometimes being too caught up in being in the right posture can actually cause more rigidity than it than it helps yeah um, however somebody who's maybe a little bit hypermobile put standing at the back um, putting the knees back um, that will cause a certain thing um, and I I do have a little bit of those kind of flat feet I'd have the one that um, dropped arch so I do feel if I if I haven't if I just wear like flimsy summer moccasin kind of what are they called those kind of sandals with flat I, I will feel that after a day of wearing that and that does you know everything everything is a balance isn't it yeah um, but I think even more importantly I had a, a student I think I might have mentioned it to you before who she was doing sweet charity and she we were working on songs sounding fantastic she forgot to mention that at, at the high note that we were working on, which she actually had to do a high kick. And a high kick is obviously going to put you in a completely different postural uh, place. So the intrinsic muscles will be doing the same, but her element of like breath management and balance, if you want support, um, would be in a completely different space. But she hadn't thought of mentioning that to me. Um, otherwise, you might have people who are wearing very high heels, uh, which could affect the the way that your voice works. Uh, I'm not saying not wear. I mean, I wear heels uh, sometimes for gigs, and and eventually, as your technique stabilizes, it won't have as much effect because of that what, one and a half hour or whatever long your your show is. So, in your view, how can we know when somebody has reached their physiological max within whatever area we're working? Oh, wow. Well, I don't think we can know. We can do educated guesses and when we feel like, so it, it's going to be, some of it is measuring um, whether we are losing like stamina, whether there's a loss in tone, you know, volume control. So all those kind of things that you will look out also um, for ongoing chronic pathologies and stuff like that. But if you see somebody getting more and more tired, mm -hmm. then potentially we're working too hard. So with anything physiological, you've got to listen to your body. You know, I'm sure we've all come back to the gym after a bit of a break and you want to do what you did <laughs> when you were at your peak and and it's not what your body wants to do. Yeah. So I think it is really about listening, watching communicating so you'll have auditory science visual science kinesthetic science um and then if in doubt go check it out mm -hmm. and you've mentioned that all those things we have we just trust our ears uh what we're seeing we sometimes can use external props uh, and also the feedback from the singer as well as the patterns we might have accumulated from other singers who have had the same sort of experience 
But there are certain things that we may be able to measure in in some way, like a vocal range. What's your favourite exercise or way to test out a singer's range from their lowest comfortable and accessible note to their highest? Um, So I'd I'd make sure that we were warm and in a good uh, um, kind of health place to start measuring extremes. Um, and then I'd start from the middle going, depending on the, the student's tendencies, either going down first or, and up, uh, or up first. Um, and I would do it on um, a combination of syllables and SOVTs, really, um, and then kind of start working. It all depends what the purpose is. I very rarely do it. You know, the majority of the time where you do it, it would be because a student go, what is my range? Exactly. Yeah. Like in a musical theatre student, and if they want to join something like Spotlight, they might need to put yeah. the range on there. Um, so is there like a particular scale pattern you use? Um, I will um, generally go in um, one and a half scale to kind of do my own assessment in my head first, because that's when you kind of usually sneak them a little bit. And then I, I would do five tone going down, really. Yeah. Um that's yeah so up I would do something that had a little bit more of a jump so that um, you can kind of see what's going on technically the other thing I think is so important for a singer's singers to know but whether it's you know in pop world or musical world um, less so in in your original music world but very much in session world (laughs) so many worlds um, (laughs) is to know where you can sing in various tonal bodies Mm. so be able to say oh yeah I can and you know whatever you want to call it I can sing in a full voice or I can belt up to a certain area but you yeah. need to know you need to translate what this producer is saying when they're going okay can you do this in a um in your chest voice and it's like you know an E6 or something ridiculous um, <laughs> then you you know in your head you can't but can you produce something that they can buy as that mm. and this is where like head voice and chest voice can be useful, very useful for a beginner singer, um, but can be a little bit less useful as you become a professional and a singing teacher because there's so many things in between. And I always refer to it as like head voice and chest voice is your pie is 3.14. But actually, when you go deeper into it, it becomes this infinite number that just never ends. Mm. When it comes to lung capacity, We can make an educated assumption that if we're working with a child, their lung capacity is going to be smaller than that of an adult because their lungs are smaller. Equally, lung health might play a role in lung capacity and and how we manage that air. How can we actually measure those somebody's lung capacity and then see how the vocal folds like to change that air into sound so otherwise known as the maximum phonation time right so you could obviously go to your asthma doctor and figure out like that that i do (laughs) (laughs) Um, i mean there is a a few different things Um, again i wouldn't measure it until either there is something that is uh, coming up where either the student wants to or they have to for a certain thing but one thing that i do with like semi-pros you know like undergrad students and singing teachers I like using the uh, three in and then three out first on a um, on a slightly like like a slightly a breath with, with resistance, and then um, I could take that on with a note under as well to see whether the capacity is different uh, just breathing to singing. Yeah. Um. So that's one thing, and you can kind of you can go just see how long you can hold it. 
yeah. or you can do uh, gradually building up. Yeah, so f- what I think is most important for the type of students that I work with is basically looking at the difference of um, can they do the same lung capacity breathing as singing, uh, because that gives me a lot of information about what it is going, what's going on in the um, well, power source interaction, or if you want um, kind of airflow versus vocal fold, mm-hmm. activate the resonator. So, you know, very many names for loved ones. Um, <laughs> so long capacity. I, I also use things like uh, the flow ball mm-hmm. um, to see whether there's like a tendency to go at the beginning, um, which can have a lot to do with with um, capacity as well. Uh, but yeah, the the one that I tend to do in a group, if if I wanted like undergrad students, I want them to self assess their lung capacity. I might do the prepare two three breathe in two three four five six and in two three and out two three four five six seven eight nine and then add three every time right. making sure you tell them you know if you get busy cheat but i would go up to 30 and then you know maybe even further if we are getting um more advanced singers yeah um because breathing out literally lowers your heart rate so it can be a great way of focusing before a show mm. yeah i love the exhalations and um Measuring the MPT, the maximum finition time, is something that's part of Chris Johnson's assessment course. And he talks about something similar to to what you described there of holding a very long hiss, a very quiet hiss um, from your very full breath right to the end and and, and timing that and then comparing that with a a phonated, quiet but non-breathy sound. Uh, And I think it's dividing the voiced dividing the voice sound by the unvoiced sound to get a ratio. And I think he, he mentions about aiming for a 0.8, which gets too mathematical for me. I get, you know, <laughs> a little bit heebie-jeebies <laughs> when we talk about yeah. maths. Um, and Kerry Obert's also got a great one with uh, measuring a balloon. So there's quite a lot of variety we can get from measuring the breath if we if we feel like we need to do that. Yeah, totally. And um, uh, I mean, the breathing coordination exercise of, of uh, counting to 10 as many times as you can um, until like there's literally no breath. What's also really good with these exercises, if you go to like the last bit, is you also activate that recoil breath. Mm. Um, and that's often, especially with people who have some kind of um, long inefficiency, we can say whether that is an illness or whether it is the, just the habit. I mean, you were talking about musical theatre singing is um, a lot of them come from dance world where they've spent yeah. the entire life trying to put the belly button through their spine, yeah. you know, <laughs> sucking everything in and, um, and might not really have access to that kind of breath that we want for some types of singing. Yeah, for sure. So it's not always because of like asthma or COPD or long COVID, another one that is, you know, more and more common now. And, and some of those if you have been ill with like bronchitis or something where um, pneumonia, something where the lungs have been affected, just like with when you've had a sore throat, you might have started using some kind of trying to protect yourself measures that will stay as habit a little bit for afterwards. Yeah. So actually recognizing those kind of things and what you're doing is really important too. Mm, mm, that whole body somatic experience. Totally. We can also call upon some apps to help us measure certain things like spectrographic apps. One that's mm-hmm. quite useful in the studio is often Voce Vista. 
Um, do you use Voce Vista? And if so, what, what are we actually looking at? What is a spectrogram? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, I also use some other spectrum viewers and, and uh, spectrum analyzer. But like the big one is to notice where the resonant, uh, resonating frequencies are strongest and whether it's how you want it to sound. So like for me, I thought it was easiest to learn this thinking about EQ. If you've done any production, you kind of talk about low frequencies, mid frequencies and high frequencies. And spectrogram is kind of measuring our, our EQ uh, of what we're producing inside of our vocal track. And we can do it by like a whisper or a fry. Some of you will um, have read uh, Ken Bozeman's work and Ian Howell's work. And um, obviously there's the ecology kind of, um, <laughs> I was like grandmasters, but that sounded a bit weird. Uh, but like <laughs> the origins of like Ingo Tietze and Jan Sundberg and everyone, wh where you can measure the performance. Some of you will know this from linguistics as well. All vowels have formants. And what are formants? Uh, sound like informants. I'll be an informant of formants. Um, they're basically a resonant frequency that occurs in your vocal tract. They occur in any acoustic space. You might find that in your studio and whatever you play that B flat, the lamp goes. Yeah. That would also be a foreman. And in acoustic space, it's a an unhelpful thing. So that's why a, a sound engineer would always like EQ out and get a flat. Not always, but um, in big arenas and things like that, a, a sound engineer will know exactly where they might have these like frequency boosts. Mm. But in our vocal track, they are part of what forms our resonance, by the sound, your tone, vocal tone, but they're also part of what forms the vowels we hear. Mm. So there are some vowels that don't have a boost in our vocal tract on certain frequencies. Mm. Uh, the most prominent formants that we need to care about as a vocalist is the first two because they are the ones that kind of form the vowel. Right. And sometimes we have to adjust to the second formant and sometimes to the first formant. Um, if you're doing more classical styles, you might get a bit more caught up in the the, the higher, um, like this, you, some of you will have heard of the singer's formant, maybe not exactly, uh, but it's a cluster of frequencies that will, when aligned with the overtones. So this is probably an, an entire podcast by itself, but like to do a super quick version of it, when we're singing one note, we're also singing all these overtones. Mm. And if I bang a gong, that will also create some overtones. However, that would be noise. Whilst when we're singing, they come in a set series called the harmonic series. And essentially, you'd have your octave and then, uh, sorry, your, your fundamental frequency, which is girls just want to have fundamental frequencies, right? Um, the first one is the actual note you're singing. The second one is octave above. Mm -hmm. and then you have a perfect fifth above, perfect fourth above. Um, major third above minor third and it gets smaller and smaller but it doesn't because each overtone is a doubling of frequencies and now we're getting into maths and somebody's head's probably going what yeah. but yeah if we think of so you probably heard of the like pitch the orchestra pitch 440 you tune an a4 440 the octave below would be 220 below there would be 110 below there is 55 so in other words every octave is a doubling of frequencies rather than higher or lower it's just faster mm. but 110 versus 880 if 10% of each one of those well, you know that if you have a a credit card <laughs> if you had 10% of of 220 or 120 110 versus 10% of 880 you have to pay a lot more back yeah so every every semitone is a 6% increase in frequencies right 
Right. So that happens regardless of whether you want to or not. If you're singing a C, the next, um, the first, um, the first kind of overtone, or if you want the second harmonic, because the fundamental, um, Johan uh, Sundberg refers to this as partials. So mm. each partial of the harmonic series, they that will be an octave above. But if you move to the D, that partial will move a tone up. Mm. So sometimes, as you move up, sometimes they will align with a frequency that's already happened in your vocal tract. Right. And sometimes they won't. Mm. So um, I'll see if I can. Could we hear a little bit of whistling? I mean, it's overtone singing. Um, you probably heard a bit of that. What we're doing is just tuning to the things that are happening inside of our of our vocal tract and when you get aligned and harmonic with the ultimate um performance happening mm. then it's just really resonant and yeah. sometimes actually what you want and sometimes that is um unhelpful because it, it maybe sounds too strident too bratty or it might sound too hollow and that's when we might go hmm Let's measure this. What's going on? Ah, you're trying to sing an R, and R doesn't have a resonance here. That's why you're not getting any help. Mm. Let's try and see what vowels, and this is where we can measure. We can actually measure the vowels by using uh, or we can measure and see where do these natural boosts happen. So do you encourage teachers to measure the formants as part of a normal lesson or would you only call upon it when you're when you're hearing something that you can't quite work out if you're training somebody to do an audition tomorrow that's probably not going to be part of your yeah uh, it all is about the goal of the student um if i'm working with somebody at, at a high level i think it's really useful for them to know what their tendencies are and especially if they have a tendency to like really change be- between vowels so you might have like a um you might have like an uh and then they're going to sing that in the same, you know, fire. And <laughs> what's fire? Uh, but, you know, that might be what they were doing, mm. trying to say fire. Um, and then that sounds really weird, those two things together, right? Mm. So then you might go, actually, let's try and mess around with how can we find an air sound that sounds more like your R sound or the mm. other way around, which is vowel modification that I'm sure... The majority of singing teachers have been using both in themselves and in the students without knowing whether they were tuning into first and second formants. Yeah. So it really is a way of kind of measuring the things that we've been doing mm. and understanding why. Yeah. A big one for me was that understanding the whole kind of, or, or on the journey to understanding, which I, I will be forever, um, the under vowel, over vowel thing that you can actually do a completely you can make the vowel sound like a vowel, even though technically you're using the physiological settings for another vowel mm. further down or further up. Yeah, yeah. I think John Henney spoke a little bit about that, hasn't he, when he was talking about teaching high belts, and we've just had him on the podcast talking about that. So check that out if you haven't listened to that yet, because um, it goes into a little bit of detail about how to find that uh, for your belting. Yeah, and Ken Bozeman as well uh, said a lot of his work is based on that, although it's more classical, so it, uh, it's still, there's still a lot of transferable things there. Um, and I think if we're going to go extreme, this is more voicesignsworks.org um, do great uh, descriptions on this. 
Mm. Um, when when you look at the two most um, drastic acoustic strategy would be your whoop whoop and your hey Cambra, mm. where you might hear one as more as a head voice, more more as a chest voice. But what's happening inside is on the whoop we're making. You know, your lips is pretty going forward and creating a bigger space, and the larynx is generally a, a, a bit more lower, so we're creating lower spaces. Mm. Well, then, hey, the larynx might be coming a little bit up while the, uh, we're creating smaller space. So mm. they have a great um, breakdown on like what happens. So when you are protruding your lips, you're going to lower the first and second performance, so the opposite. If you're doing a scary smile, this is a bit harder to do on a podcast versus. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and they got some great graphics as well. Um, so so that's very um, useful to kind of have a look at if you're if you're interested in understanding more about performance and harmonics and, and those relationships. The other thing with a with a spectrum viewer a spectrogram, it's great that you can also see, you know, okay, here's more brightness, here's more um, lower frequencies, and you and you can actually adjust it because if you can hear it or if you can see it, you can adjust it. And we know like how many students who will go like, you know. Wah, 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 wah. And, and they don't realize that they've just changed from a wah to a wah <laughs> yeah. um, because they're just doing but if they can see it potentially changing even like getting the pitch on there and can you see that you've just moved away from that pitch you've just lowered at the end there the one thing I would say that is challenging with is if you're doing with backing track and stuff like that because that will also be picked up by the yeah. So if you're going to try and measure and students are generally really excited to see and hear more about, well, my nerdy ones, definitely. Um, so like sometimes if you are still working these things out, if you put headphones on them and, and like have their back and track in the headphones and then like look over it afterwards, even just listening back and, and understanding, you know, their sound and you know we need to get used to listening to ourselves and sometimes that can be super cringy mm, yeah definitely yeah as you see the, the other um uh, pitch analyzer for analyzing your fundamental frequency mm. you have any trans students but also just for vocal health because if your fundamental frequency of your spoken voice is significantly lower that might be that you're a bit swollen or you know coming on um things like that as well so that's another app that i'd recommend to measure mm, amazing i also like using the, the the vocal pitch monitor app for um people who might be just struggling with pitch yes. uh, and also if they have had grommets or any any maybe hearing difficulties before to, to visually have something that t that gives them some extra accuracy has been really helpful um for those for those students definitely again it's it's you know all the senses the more senses you can get involved the the quicker like we have to hang new knowledge on top of something that's existing or we have to hear it again and again and again so like the, the more you can get them to tie together things they already know and using you know oh yeah i can see that's going down then you can involve another sense oh yeah now i can hear it um, mm -hmm. yeah so that's mm -hmm. that's a good one brilliant Kaya thank you so much it's always so fun to chat with you and learn so much from you just remind us where people can check you out and and keep up to date with what you're getting up to um so I'm at Waterbear College of Music running some online degrees there uh, most of the time you can check that out on um on, on their website uh, I have my own website is kayamusic.com and kaya is k-a-y-a and that's also my instagram at kayamusic so yeah 
ask me questions if you have any always happy to come and speak to you and uh yeah geek out for a bit yeah <laughs> thanks kaya Looking to expand your vocal knowledge and add to your teacher toolbox? Then you're in the right place. Basta here to guide you with our membership, a growing virtual library packed with educational videos spanning a whole host of voice teacher topics. It's just £1 for the first two weeks and £6 each month after that. Now that's what I call a bargain. To join, just head to our website www.basttraining.com.